episode, Brandy and I were able to interview one of Brandy's dearest friends, attorney Kim Valentine. She has such an amazing story and journey and her accomplishments are off the charts. So we really hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's a two-parter, so stay tuned for later in the week of part two to come out. Um, You guys are going to love it. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Bubbles with B and D. We do a lot of funny memes. And make sure. <laughs> and that's Max. And make sure you get into our super special Facebook group, the Champagne Room. All right, here's the episode. She is truly one of my most favorite people on the planet. She is one of the most successful attorneys in elder abuse law in all of California. She's extremely well recognized for her work in the legal industry. Even though her opposing counsel hates sitting across from her, they would hire her in a heartbeat to represent their elder family. She is a boss babe with an incredible journey and an incredible life story. Please welcome Kim Valentine. We're so excited for you. Okay, that almost made me cry. I know. (laughs) I know, right? Me too. Made me cry too. I'm almost... (laughs) I'm like, oh my god! I'm this is not up. like bubbles and bitches at all. <laughs> no. Thank you so much for joining. Thank us you for today. joining us. Sure, happy to. Um, gosh, this is gonna be just. I I just I'm just gonna get into it because yeah, there's just so much. There's to cover. so many layers to you. There's so much, and we we we, we might go off kilter and talk about. Oh yeah. and it's fine. It's totally um, fine. Yeah, I have, well, I wanted to kind of touch base just so like the listeners know. Um. Brandy oh, and that's Kim true. Are, are, are friends, have been friends for a few years, yes. and this is actually the first time I've ever met Kim, but I feel like I know you because Brandy speaks so highly of you. Like, I feel like I, I know I know you. Like, yeah. I'm like, this is my girl, too. Like, <laughs> we're, here, we're here to hang out and chat, too. Uh, not only do I love her, my son is obsessed with her. And at times, I'm like, he fucking wishes that that was that his was mom. His- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll adopt him. Now. Oh yeah, you. Oh That's my gosh, totally the uh, he's funny. obsessed with her. But um, also, like I, I was one of my very first jobs was with Kim, and I did a deposition with her, um, and it was the har- two dates, some of the hardest work I've ever done. Kim's no a, joke. Kim's an attorney. Kim's an attorney. Yeah. Well, I know. Just to preface it, though. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, don't, yeah. didn't I fucking say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, one of my very first jobs was with Kim and I remember, I will never forget it. And it has scarred me for life, but I (laughs) fucked up a transcript big time and it was for an expert and, um, it was awful. The expert was like, who the fuck was this a court reporter? It was awful. Like misspellings or no, not misspellings. It was literally just so. It was so fucked up with medical terms. Oh. And I was so new uh-huh. that I didn't 
They got to fucking teach court reporters how to do that too. Because like we can type all day. Yeah. But going out on your first depot is a whole different ball game. But so it was one of your first ones doing that. Yes. Oh, jeez. I don't no, even think, I don't even think she knows good. that. And I didn't know that. And, and that would not be good to have to do your first deposition with me. That yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah, no. I mean, well, first of all, I talk like 100 miles an hour. Yes. So there's that. It's about and 330 was, words a minute to right. be exact. Um, <laughs> and so my, and my, and my depositions generally are pretty complex. And yes. they have like all these words that I have to actually like go on the internet so I can hear them. So I know how to say them. So uh-huh. I don't sound like an idiot when I'm asking about them in the depositions. And you so. have no idea like what. No, you it's just like a foreign language. you just yeah. have to sound it out. So like certain things that I was sounding out on there and writing out, the doctor wasn't saying that. Oh, yeah. So it, it didn't have anything to do with the subject that he was fucking talking about. Uh-huh. But anyway. Uh, that has never happened again, actually. You're like, never again. Yeah. No, well, I've learned, I learned a big lesson in that, but it is scar. I remember, <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was awful because I, well, what it was, you it's, do with that? Like when that well, what back? happened is the expert contacted us and said, this transcript is like not correct. And there's all these, you know, things in it. I don't even know how to fix it because I don't even know what what I was being asked and I don't know what the right answers are. Yeah. And so I contacted the court reporting agency and said, this is like a huge problem Mm -hmm. um, in the transcript. And so um, luckily it just, so it worked out where we were actually getting ready to settle that case. So it turned out to not be, it turned out not to be a big Whatever. I don't know how the cross goes, but (laughs) that is how it goes. Uh, I was doing the cross guys. Um, uh, Hail Mary's. I don't know what I was doing, but I need to fucking, fucking come Jesus moment. She was looking for her crystals, but I was looking for the crystals. Um, but I, I, it was so, that was awful. I can't, uh, well, first of all, that taught me a huge lesson. Well, actually what was really good about that though, is that then your boss came to me and said, okay, so we're going to send Brandy to, we're going to like, make sure that everything gets audited by a whole separate auditor. Yes. Um, will you give her a second chance? No agency would do that, by the way. So, no. Uh, Corey was awesome. And um, he was awesome about that. He is awesome about that, but you are awesome about that. There's no, I mean, I don't know another attorney that would say, oh, send Uh her back. Like, it's okay. Right. No way. Well, I'm pretty much all about second chances. I know. (laughs) And I did okay. But for the record, though, you were like my first. You, I was like a virgin. Can yeah. you believe that? That's, I did not know. <laughs> and that. now we're go, we're what? How many? Six years later. I, know, I mean, now ago. I would be wow. a, a breeze for you. Now you would be like, <laughs> okay, this is okay, you know. But oh my god. Anyway, how crazy. Yeah, I digress. We're moving on. Um, so Kim has had quite some struggle, quite the life, yeah, quite uh-huh. some struggles, and yes. so we're just. I'm just gonna dive in. This is this podcast is all about just being a boss babe and just uh overcoming your obstacles, obstacles struggles, issues. A strong woman and it just is pushing through everything. And for our listeners too, like if they hopefully you can give our listeners some listen, your life may have been this, but yeah. this is what yeah. you can do. Yeah, you still can accomplish so much no matter where you started from or what you have to go through. Yes, so, very yeah. true, very true. That's what this podcast is all about. So I'm going to, I'm just going to dive in, like I just said 80 times and start from the beginning. <laughs> um, I want to know, I want you to start with like your family background. Okay. I want you to start with when you were young and 
just dig in, sister, being homeless, and I need it. Okay, so, well, the, I guess the interesting beginning starts, like, literally from before I was even born, actually. So I was adopted, um, and my, uh, interestingly, my adoptive parents had decided um, that they were not going to go through with the adoption. So the adoption was actually um, done during the pregnancy. And from what my mom uh, ultimately told me, I will always refer to my adoptive parents as my mom and dad. Okay. Um, so when, so my mom tells me that they had decided on Friday that they were not going to go through with the adoption and they were going to call the adoption agency on Monday and they were going to cancel the adoption because my biological mom had told them that the due date was sometime in September. So they felt like they still had a month or so to go. And I was born on Sunday. Oh, shoot. Oh my and gosh. so the next thing they know, despite their decision, um, they receive a phone call over the weekend that I'm born. And so now they either have to turn away a now born oh. child um, or not. And so they went ahead and went through with the adoption, despite their decision that they had not wanted to do that. Wow. Yes. So um, and the mere fact that I even know this information yeah. is kind of telling all by itself. Because that's probably not something that you maybe would want to share with your child. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, uh, that's sort of how things went. So um, so I was, like I said, I was adopted at birth. And then um, I lived with my adoptive parents uh, for 14 years. Mm -hmm. And then um, that, unfortunately, did not go particularly well. Um, I think that in retrospect, I can kind of um, surmise that my adopted mom had... Prior to me, she had taken care of her nephew for five years, and then his mom, biological mom, had sort of taken him back okay. um, after her having taken care of him for five years. So I'm pretty sure that she really was adopting children because she was trying to fill that void. Mm -hmm. um, but so she really only wanted boys. She never really liked girls. Um, and so she really probably wow. shouldn't have been a mom. So I, um, so I grew up in kind of in a, not kind of, but in an abusive environment the whole time. And so my, sort of my overriding goal when I was growing up was to be a speck of dust on the couch. That's what I would tell myself when I would walk home from school is to be uh, seen but not heard. Mm -hmm. So that hopefully she would not pay attention to me because that would usually not go well if she did. So one day when I was 14, um, I came home and I came in the house and she was unhappy because I had gone across the street to give my then boyfriend his jacket because I was afraid that if I came in the house with the jacket that she would actually be upset about that. I don't know why, but that was mm -hmm. what I thought. And so and you were 14. I was 14. So okay. the minute I walked in the door, um, she started hitting me in my face. And like we started at one side of the room and by the time we ended up on the other side of the room, um, I was bleeding from my ear and she had blood all over her hand. And so that's why she stopped. And I left the living room where this happened and I went into my bedroom and I remember sitting on my bed and I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. And it didn't really occur to me like what that really meant. All I knew was that I was done. And that I absolutely just could not do it anymore. And which is, again, in retrospect, I look back and I think, where does that come from? Like, yeah. we are 
we are truly who we really are deep in our souls, no matter what our environment is. I really believe that because I had this like incredible strength inside of who I was, despite the fact that I, I lived in a house where we didn't speak to each other. We didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents didn't tell us that they loved us. We didn't have, I mean, my, we were like petrified. Like that's how our life was. We were just always in fear. If somebody were to say, like, explain your childhood in one word, the word would be fear because that's how we lived. Right. And so, um, so that day, I don't how know what happened. How many siblings did so you I had, have? I had one older sibling that was two years older than me. She was also adopted. Okay. Um, and my parents were the same. My dad was a fireman. He was this huge guy, six foot six, great guy actually. But my father was also um, sort of under the spell of my very dominant mother. So my dad would sort of just sit behind the newspaper and allow things to happen. And my mom was very much, you know, ruled the roost and he just, he just sort of, like he see just, them. he, he just kind of, uh-huh. and he did that on purpose, I think, because she was um, crazy. Well, he was submissive anyway, but also because he, he knew she had actually one day my, my mom was, um, you know, having an altercation with my sister. My dad came in and said, what are you doing? What did she do? And my mom proceeded to just like really go off on my sister. And then she turned to my dad and she said, if you ever ask that again, that's what's going to happen. Okay. So my dad sort of just decided, I think that it was easier to take a backseat role and just not do anything. So that's kind of how, how things went. Were but, you close with your sister? No, not at all. My sister was, oh. I went to my sister um, probably maybe six months before I ended up leaving home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, because by that point, I finally, when you're growing up as a child, you think that, you know, what's happening in your world is what happens in everybody's world. Yeah. And it was only when I was probably about 14 that I had this realization that what my world looked like is not what everybody's world looked yeah. like. And that everybody's parents don't treat you like this. And I mean, it was, it was like this total realization. So I went to my sister one day and I said, you realize that like, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not how everybody's world is. And our lives would be so much easier if we just protected each other. So, you know, you and I should like bond together and we should just try to protect each other. And she promptly went to my mom and told my mom what I said. So I learned very young to not be very trusting of other people. Um, So, yeah, I wasn't actually close to her. You know, she she was. And and it's sad because she was like in the exact same environment that I was. But yeah. At any rate. So that particular day I'm sitting on the bed and I have this realization like I can't do this. And I don't know what happened. Like I feel like I. I just like grew a set of balls or something. I don't know. <laughs> I walked into the other room with my mom and I said, you can't do this anymore. And she said, I'm going to do this as long as you live in my house. And I said, well, then I'm not going to live in your house. So she walked upstairs and she got a suitcase and she came downstairs and she handed it to me and I packed it and she walked me to the front door and she opened it and she said, have a nice life. And I walked out and she wow. closed the door and wow. that was it. So at that, that time, it, it? That, that was, was it. it. Pretty much it. At that time, I was yeah. a straight A student. I was student council president in school. Because oh you were scared shitless. And you were, I, your, but you were even, your best. But even again, well, so I did love school because I hated summer. I hated being home. I yes. only liked yeah. to be in school. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So there I was, so I definitely me. like, you know, buried myself in school. Same. But I, um, but it was just, it's just so striking to me that again, you know, here's this person who's like living this life over here where I'm like trying to hide who I really am and trying to hide what's going on in my life. And yet I'm in school. I'm like the popular kid in school. uh And I mean, I really, I, I really put a lot of thought into it. Like I sort of analyzed all of this and I'm like, how does this little girl who's like physically, you know, going through so much, 
still have the self-confidence to mm-hmm. run for student council president. Because let me tell you, when I first ran, my, my mom was like, when I was in an elementary school, I had no friends. Like I literally had no friends. I wasn't allowed to ever do anything other than I had to go to school, come home. I had to be home in mm-hmm. the exact amount of time it took me to get home. I couldn't even be involved in any extracurricular activities. My mom was extremely, extremely, extremely strict. And if I, I had a curfew and if I didn't get home within 40 minutes of the time that I was out of school, which is, by the way, two miles away, I, she would Whoa. she would like beat me if beat I you. wasn't home. Right. So I was like, it was, it, it was incredibly strict. But when I was younger and in elementary school, I mean, I was totally that kid that like your mama dresses you funny. Like I was wearing plaid <laughs> pants and bell bottoms when they weren't cool. I didn't even own tennis shoes for the longest time. I had like those black and white those saddle black, sandals. Yes. Because my parents were older. My parents were 45 and 46 when I was born. So they were way older already to begin with. Right. So they were from a completely different generation. They were born in 1921 and 1922. So they went through the, you know, the depression and they, they, they saw a whole other side of life. So they were literally, ultimately, I've come to realize, I think they were doing their very best that they could, but they were, you know, that didn't necessarily translate well at the time. So anyway, it goes back to what I was just saying, though. I really do think that inherently we are just these really strong people inside ourselves, um, because despite the fact that I was not on the outside somebody that should look like I had a lot of confidence, yet I still managed to have that. Right. I ran for, you know, the, some office in school and I lost the first, you know, the first time I ran. And then I was like, okay, then I was, I mean, cause I, I was already very thinking, determined after so that, I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to find the office that there's nobody running for and I'm going to run <laughs> for that office because then I'll get it and then I'll be in. And then once I'm in student council, then everybody will know me and then I'll win. And uh-huh. it totally worked. <laughs> So, I mean, but it's kind of that's funny because that's, that's the way my brain started working. I was really young, right? So anyway, so that's how I ended up when I left home that day when I was 14. Um, that's how I ended up being homeless. So Where did you I went go? from like when when she gave you that suitcase and you're out that front door and she said, okay, go. So I had a friend at the time who lived pretty close by. And so You know, when situations like that happen initially, your friends are pretty good about helping you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I called her and uh, her mom came and picked me up and I spent the night at her house. But then, you know, they were quickly like, okay, this is a 14 year old girl. Like she can't stay here. So I was only there for like a night. And then right after that, um, I sort of developed this system. So I had a friend, her name was Debbie and I would, I took what little bit of stuff that I had in the suitcase that I had and I took the suitcase and I put it under her bed. And so I would wait for her parents to leave to go to work every morning. And I would go to her house early in the morning. I would take a shower and then I would go to school. And then I would stay at school for as long as I could until they were like locking the gates at school. Mm -hmm. And then when I would leave school, I would start looking for where I was going to sleep. And I would try to find, with any (laughs) luck, I would try to find a place where there was like a roof. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I would stay in like laundry rooms of apartment complexes, Um, you know, any place that actually like had a roof, like even if it was a bathroom, um, things like that. And then, but a lot of times I couldn't find that because, you know, they, they're locked. They're They're locked locked. most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then what I would do is I would sleep on the grass in front of an apartment complex 
that one of my friends lived in. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't tell them, but it just was like a security blanket for me. It was familiar. I knew that there was somebody in there and I didn't feel like I was totally alone. Right. Or sometimes I would sleep on the back porch of somebody's, of somebody's house. house. Okay. And so again, because then I felt close, right. but I wasn't totally alone. Right. Um, and then if I couldn't find any of those places, then I would stay at the beach. Oh. So right. I... Um, and this is at like 15, 14, 15 years old. I'm 14 old. at 14. the time, right. Oh, my goodness. Now, the good thing about being 14 when this is happening is that you really think you're invincible. So oh, yeah. I didn't really have the good sense to realize like what jeopardy I was really putting myself yeah, in. Yeah, what danger. Yeah. And I also, because I had grown up so, um, you know, in the first 14 years of my life, I had been, you know, so sheltered. Yeah. I really had no oh, idea right. how bad what it was really out was. There. Yeah. So come to find out later in life, I realized that this, <laughs> like the street and the corners that I was like, like staying in were very much infested with like hookers. And it was like, I was on like PCH in Long Beach, which right. is like all these hookers, you know, are like up and down the street all the time. And so, but I didn't realize that. And I can honestly say like, I'm so fortunate. I can tell you some stories. Let me tell you. There's like, I'll tell you one because it really, really strikes me as like this really, like one of the most prominent memories that I have of being homeless. So I remember that I was doing exactly what I said. I was sleeping on the lawn of um, my friend's apartment and it was really late at night Mm -hmm. and this guy was walking by and he had popcorn and I was starving. And popcorn already smells good, no right, matter what yeah. you're starving. <laughs> yes, but it smells really good. When yeah, you're when starving. you're starving. Okay. Uh-huh. So he walks by and he has this popcorn, and I don't know what possessed him to do so, but he asked me if I wanted the popcorn, and I said yeah. And then he says, "So if you want more popcorn, I'll give you more. You just have to come to my apartment. I just live across the street." And I was so hungry, and I was so desperate, and I was cold. It was freezing, and I'm sleeping on like this muddy grass. Yeah. And so, and I was so naive. But yeah. I was just going to ask you. I was you, so naive. You I didn't know. I wasn't, right? I kid you not when I tell you that I was never afraid. Yeah. I was never really afraid for the most part. I mean, there were things that would freak me out, you know, as they would happen. But for the most part, it wasn't like I didn't walk around all the time afraid. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think anything bad would happen to me. But again, it was just because I was young and naive. So I... I went to his apartment and I, and I totally had like this strategy in my head and to his credit, this man, I'm just going to jump to the chase and tell you that the man didn't do anything to me. (laughs) But what I did was I ate the popcorn. (laughs) I remember going in the bathroom and strategically, he gave me like a t-shirt to put on. And so I like remember strategically figuring out where the window was in the bathroom, where to put my clothes. And then I went and laid in the bed and then I pretended to be asleep and he didn't do anything. I don't know if you thought like, I know, right? Crazy. And then I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning and I went in the bathroom. I put on my clothes and I climbed out the window because I was afraid that if I stayed, I at least had enough sense to realize that if I stayed there, that he was maybe going to think something was going to happen and that could go bad. So I left at like four o'clock in the morning, but I look back on that and I think, okay, Oh my gosh, how crazy was yeah, that? Yeah, what kind and of a like situation how, did you and, put yourself in? Oh yeah. my gosh, and how lucky I was that right. nothing really yeah. awful happened to me in the course you of that. You got really lucky with that I one. did. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I really did. So I never quite smelled popcorn and <laughs> don't think of that story. Yeah. But at any rate, so that's so that's what I did for a while. I uh, 
I did that whole routine for as long as I could. But then, like I was saying before, you know, your friends are your friends for a while, but then eventually Mm -hmm. your drama becomes too much drama for them and they move on with their lives and, you know, they can't really be dealing with your crap every day. So I, um, eventually I got to the point where school was too much of a risk for me. It was too hard for me to go to school and put on this front. Did any teachers get the drift? Well, um, no, they didn't. Wow. And so I, but I was afraid that I was afraid. I really felt like I was going to be outed. Plus I was really embarrassed because this whole like cycle that I was doing and sleeping in all of these Mm -hmm. odd and weird places. And, um, I was totally afraid that I was going to be outed. And here I was, you know, putting on this air at school that, you know, I'm the straight A student and I'm student council president. And I just, I don't know. It just became too much for me. And I I quit going to school. And you're coming in all clean, nice and showered and everything. And then. Yeah. And then. So. So I quit going to school. And then once I quit going to school, then it became like. Then I lost all sight of like structure. Then I had no structure whatsoever. And so I was. And homeless. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like. Right. Wow. So in the meantime, so I, so this, were you still talking to the boy? Yes. I was just getting to that. So yes, okay. I was still talking <laughs> to the boy. Um, and that was a whole thing. I mean, he was, um, he was an interesting <laughs> person that again, you know, when you're 14 years old and you know, you're, you're not thinking with the same level no, brain right. that you might yeah. be thinking of and when you're, you know, older and so, um, so yeah, I was still talking to him. So eventually what happens is I'm doing this process. I'm, you know, now I'm like really struggling just to try to like find food and trying to find shelter. Mm-hmm. How and then eventually, how, 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 how did you find how food? Did you find how did you food? You eat, you garbage. steal. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You steal. Um, and you eat out of garbage. You Trash ate can. out of garbage can? I did. Just anything to Jesus. just survive until that next day. Yep. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, um, so again, you know, and the whole time what's so interesting and what was really interesting sort of over the course of the, you know, next few years of my life is how often I thought that this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And that overriding thought in my brain was, I always thought you're so much better than this. Like, what are you doing? This is not how your life is supposed to be. Um, but I felt really stuck and I didn't know what to do. Anyway, well, yeah. ultimately what yeah. happened is I, I ended up being picked up by the police. They took me to McLaren Hall, and then I ended up in Orangewood. Um, and then I got placed in foster care. Um, and then I ended up finding out I was pregnant. Okay. So uh, by this point, I'm 15. Okay. So I then found out that I was pregnant. And in typical 15-year-old mentality yes. of a girl who hasn't really ever had um, a family that she felt unconditionally loved her. Yeah. Um, I had the, the usual, um, thoughts that most 15 year old teenage moms have, which is, um, well, this is good. You know, I'm going to live happily ever after with the guy. I kind of laugh now at some of my goals. My goal was that we could get a van. (laughs) We could get a van because then we could all live in the van. And I didn't really understand why everybody didn't do it. Like, what? Why don't you want to live in a fucking van? You have a roof over your head and it gets you from point A to point B. And it's all in one spot. What's the problem with that? Like, I didn't understand what was wrong with everybody else, right? (laughs) So, I mean, it's just crazy. And of course, does it ever occur to me? Like, how are you going to pay for diapers? I know, Can I right, tell you that right. I think that I spent nine months pregnant and never once thought about that? 
Now that's insane. I realize, but I'm not kidding. Because we, I didn't either, actually. Right? Well, you're, yeah, no. you're 15, 16. Like, you're not, you, you don't, don't know I didn't think things. of that at all. You don't, you don't think about things. that. No. I thought I was going to live happily ever so after. So did I. I'm yeah. like, we're going to get married. We're yeah. going to have, I totally Totally. And more importantly, I thought that this was really great because now I was going to have somebody to love. And it was going to be like the first time in my life mm. because I had been adopted. I felt like it was the first time in my life I'm going to be able to look into the eyes of another human being and actually feel a genetic, I mean, genetically connected to this person because yeah. I've never been yeah. genetically connected to a soul on the planet. Right. And so I was like excited about the idea of this connection with this child. So, um, so I ended up in a, um, place called Booth Memorial, which was an unwed mother's home. Okay. And that was in LA. And I... Um, Where was he? He was in youth authorities by that point. Okay. So he had gone to jail um, where he spent a good majority of his adult years. Um, so, yeah, but that's where he was. So I... Uh, um, so that was a struggle. Um, you know, I ended up, like I said, in the unwed mother's home and then I had the baby by myself. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, also interesting because again, it tells you like how just completely living on planet Mars I am. I took my normal, my normal clothes to the hospital because I thought that I was going to drop this baby. Now, mind you, I'd gained 50 pounds, okay. um, but I thought I was going to like drop this baby and then I was going to, you know, get back, get back into my normal clothes. clothes. Right. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's how I, that's the way my brain worked. Cause I yeah. didn't really know any better. So yeah. Interesting. I mean, don't mean to brag, but I gained 80, so. <laughs> yeah. And I thought the same shit. Right? I was wearing that leggings every day to school. I mean, in 95. Like, yep. what the fuck? Nobody's wearing leggings in 95. My mom was like, yeah, are you this. pregnant? And I looked at her like she was, a, I'm like, no. <laughs> and I knew I was, but I was in so much, much denial. denial. Yeah, yeah. That... It was bizarre. I can't even, like, the way that you're talking about our thinking was mm -hmm. bizarre. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, Well, you're little kids. You're still right. little kids. 15, 16, you don't know these things. No. no. No one has really, like, I mean, yes, maybe you have, like, sex education or what, but they don't teach you, you know, oh, all I didn't of know. these things. Yeah, yeah, especially you. I didn't have know. Any I could tell you right now. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't either. No. But didn't, they don't teach you. No. No. What you need to have when, when you I, do have a baby. I got pregnant the first time I had sex. Like when oh, I counted it all back, I got pregnant the first time I had sex. Fertile Myrtle. Fertile Myrtle. Oh, that turned out to be a very true statement too. Yeah. Yes, it did. But anyway. Yeah. We'll get there. Yes. So, all right. So okay. anyway, so, I mean, we could be at this forever, but, um, I ended up, um, in a group home. So this part, it becomes very interesting. So I ended up in a group home, um, and, I was going to school and working, and at this point, I'm kind of um, figuring out that I really need to, like, do something with my life, right? And so I'm going to this continuation school and trying to, like, you know, get all of my credits and go to school as fast as I possibly can, and I'm working at Wendy's, and I'm working at an insurance company and, like, an ROP program, and, I mean, I'm just, like, doing all this stuff. And I meet this woman who... Happens to be a newly a new graduate from college. She had just gotten like her, I'm assuming like her social work degree or whatever. So she comes to work at our group home, and her name is Jen. And she uh, she was so different than everybody else at this mm -hmm. group home because you know you're in these homes and 
honestly, these homes, the majority of the people that work there, they, um, they're supposed to be there because they're supposed to be helping you, but they're really there because they're babysitting you and they don't have any hopes or aspirations that you're going to do anything. And they treat you like you're pretty much a loser. And then Jen comes along and she's, like I said, newly graduated from college. And so she comes in with this like whole big ray of sunshine and rainbows. She's going to make a difference. She's going to make a difference. Yes. And so she's like questioning everybody else. Like, what's wrong with you people? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. these kids are amazing and they're great. And so she would like, we'd stay up all night long talking to her, sitting in the hallway, um, you know, doing all this stuff when I don't know why I was doing that because at that point I used to talk to my bed because I would like count the hours before I was going to see it again because I was like <laughs> working so many hours until one o'clock in the morning and then I'd be up at five. So, you know, giving so up my four hours. Wendy's. Wendy's, the insurance company. So I went to, I, and I worked and I lived in this group home. So I had to be up at five. Yes. And then I was in school by seven and then I was out by noon. And then I went to work at the insurance company at one. And then I um, was, I'd work there till four and then I go to Wendy's at five and I work from five to one. So, I mean, oh I was like crazy, <laughs> but it was actually really good. How long did you do that for? Um, I went there in September. So okay. I'm, uh, that's when I got to the group home. And then uh, at what point in time, I, I mean, you know, obviously I started school right away. I don't, it didn't take me long to get the job. So I'm imagining that I probably started doing all of that by like October, I'm assuming. Okay. And then in April, I came home one day and they told me that you're going to be legally emancipated. And my response to that was, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea what that is. And they said, well, we had a court hearing about you today and the court decided that you're making enough money that you are capable of caring for yourself. And so in 12 days, you're on your own. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. And even at that With age. the baby. And at that age, I was like, even I knew this is a really bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And even I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. Because, and so I was like, okay, let's think about this, shall we? I don't have a high school diploma. Um, I have a job that I'm going to have to quit because I don't have a car. I don't have a place to live and I'm going to be out in 12 days. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to go back to exactly what I had before, which is I'm going to be like this close to being homeless all over again. Yeah. And I have like... I had, you know, I had saved some money, um, but still, you know, it wasn't enough. I mean, I think I had like a thousand dollars, like, okay, really? So it was just insanity, but there's, you know, it was what it was. And I didn't really have anybody to advocate for me or tell me anything, you know, do anything any differently. So in 12 days I left and I promptly went back to Long Beach and I moved back with, um, with my, with my son's mom. Um, which that was a really bad plan that didn't last long because she was at that point now married to with your son's grandma. Correct. So, and she was now married to this guy named Chivo who was in prison, (laughs) who was getting out of prison. And when he got out of prison, then I had to like barricade myself in the room and put the dresser in front of the door. So I'm like, this isn't going to last. I'm not going to be able to live there. Oh my gosh. So I left there and by now, which I had bought a car. So I took my thousand dollars in my brilliance and I spent 800 of it and I bought a car. Now, mind you, I don't have a driver's license and I don't even know how to drive a car, but I bought a car (laughs) and then I promptly blew the car up. The engine of the car blew up in three days. So now I've now spent 800 of my thousand dollars and I have to now spend, I now have to sell the car for the shell. It was a Volkswagen bug. So I got $300 back. So now, yeah, that was a great move on my part. And where's where's your son again during this time? So that's a whole that's a whole other story. 
Okay. Because he's not with you during this. He's, not, he's in like a... Yeah, he's not with me at that time. Uh, he's actually living in foster care at foster that point. Care. Okay. 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 So, um, and in the midst of this, I'm doing like trying to do everything I can in my power to like figure out how I'm going to get him yeah, back. Right. Um, and so, and that's like the primary goal. And I'm like completely and totally frustrated about the fact that this isn't happening. But at any rate, so the car breaks down. The point of the car story was to say that then I met a tow truck driver. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so the tow truck driver <laughs> happened to be the guy who had to tow my car. Okay. And I, I will fast forward to the point where I will tell you that his last name was Valentine. Okay. <laughs> oh so, my goodness. Yes. Kim Valentine. There okay. you go. Okay. So I meet the tow truck driver. And so after meeting the tow truck driver and, you know, some time has passed. And so now I'm in need of a place to live because I'm feeling very insecure living in the home with the person who's just come out of prison. And so he, uh, kindly offers that I can live in this apartment that his friend is uh, has. Um, but the purpose of this apartment is that it's a crack house. And so okay. as in they actually rock up crack cocaine <gasps> in this place. Jeez. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So I... You're like, cool. Well, well, I'm like, it's better. It's better. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening in the other room. So it's a, it's a a, much better option. Right? Yes. So I go to that apartment. I sleep on a mat, on a, on a, um, water mattress, water bed. That's Mm -hmm. like just the mattress on the floor with like not a heater. So that's not comfortable, but that's what I did. And so I live, I stay there and then I get a job, um, working at a jewelry store, which P.S., when they emancipated me, one would think you would give me some papers that say I'm emancipated because that oh, means I'm legally did. an adult, but oh, they didn't do that. So I'm lying about my age. So I'm trying to keep this job and they do a background check because, you know, when you work in a jewelry store, lo and behold, they yeah. do background checks. <laughs> yes. So well, then they come and they fire me because, hello, I'm not really 18. And all. so it just was uh, just nothing but complete and total craziness. So then I go work at Bob's Big Boy. My, okay. my big claim to fame. I work at Bob's Big Boy. Mm-hmm. Shout out. They have some good dressing. I oh, love yeah. Bob's Big right? Boy. <laughs> but I hated working at Bob's Big Boy. It. I would go to work. Even more than Wendy's? Oh, yeah. Because really? well, my, because my manager was a bitch. Oh. And so, like, you know, they had these rules that, like, your fingernails can't be longer than a certain thing. She'd walk around with a pencil and, like, have oh, that eraser, like, on your on your fingernails just to make sure you didn't exceed the oh, fingernail geez. limit. Yeah. And so... So I would go to work and I would sit there and I would go in and I would look at these people and I would think, please, God, don't let this be my life when yeah. I'm 40. Don't want this to be the end. Yeah. So by now I'm like, I can't live in the crack house anymore. Crack <laughs> is everywhere. It's like, not. A, it's not good. <laughs> oh God. So I'm working everywhere. at this restaurant. And you never got involved in that shit. No, I didn't really. I mean, I'm not going to lie if I don't tell you that I did try it. Okay. Okay. And well, so what's I would the, think what the crazy part there, about, yeah. yeah, well, because I, I want, I was curious. Yes. Honest to God, I was curious. I was like, what is it that has such this incredible hold on these people? Right. And so I did try it now. And the funny part of it is, is like, you know, with everything about my life, you would think that I would like have had all of this exposure to all these drugs or whatever. And I'm yes. really, you know, thank God. I'm so thankful that I'm like, Mm-hmm. I just don't have that gene. You don't. I could really not give two craps about doing any kind of drugs. And I mean, no. literally, the only drugs I've ever tried in my whole life is I smoke pot and I tried crack cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> but that's it. And it scared yes. the living daylights out of me. Because yes. it was really, really, really addictive. 
it was like crazy addictive and like really bad to scare the absolute daylights out of me. So that was short lived because I, but I also was like, I cannot be, be around, around this yeah. because this is some it's bad, take a hold of you. bad stuff. And yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. So, and it's everywhere. So, <laughs> I mean, I, um, so by now I'm just like making enough money to be able to like pay to live in like a, you know, like crappy little sleazy motel. And I'm like stressing out every day that I'm going to make enough money at, the, at my waitressing job in order to like be able to pay the $21 to stay in right. that. Because P.S. I'm a terrible waitress. Like, let me just get that out there. <laughs> Awful. I'm so bad. Let me just tell you, here was my philosophy. I would walk up to you. I'm very efficient. I'm all about efficiency. <laughs> But I'm not so good at wanting to hear about your problems uh -huh. because no. at this point I have a lot of problems. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't want to hear about your problems no. because I want to look at these people who have problems and You're say, like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Let me just tell you. So I don't want to hear about your problems. Yeah. So my theory was I'm going to come to your table. I'm going to, you're going to tell me everything you need and I'm going to come back in one shot and I'm going to bring you everything you need. But I definitely had this attitude about how many fucking cups of water does people need in one damn setting. <laughs> uh -huh. So I was not good. Needless to say, my tips were sort of commensurate with my attitude, which wasn't good. So, I mean, that was, that was definitely not, but I was really good at carrying things. I could carry like 16 <laughs> plates at a want. time, but I was but not good. Like, but that at, glass is still half full. You the, need to drink yeah, that before I not need to drink attitude. that before I fill it. Exactly. <laughs> I got a lot of other tables. On the record. So now what happened that was really fortunate for me is that while I worked at Bob's Big Boy, I met a friend of, I met a girl who turned out to be a really good friend of mine and she was going to go in the Marine Corps. And all this time, oh. you know, while I'm still estranged from my parents, man. this okay. is my, so I didn't hear this part yet. Like I haven't, we haven't talked so about I, this part yet. So I'm estranged from my parents, but my dad, because my dad really like was like brokenhearted over me. And because I was actually somewhat close to my dad when we were living at the house, because we sort of had sort of forged this bond of me asking him, like, why do you stay with her? Yeah. And so we kind of like had this like bond about that. And so he was very, very broken about me leaving. And so he was, you know, constantly trying to tell me that I should go into the military because he had been in the military. Okay. So I already had this in the back of my head that this would maybe be a good idea and then my friend comes along and she tells me she's going in the Marine Corps and she wants to go in on the buddy system. So I'm like, okay, I just know I have to get the hell out of working at Bob's Big Boy. Yeah, <laughs> and this is, but this is also an in for your kid and for oh, because you're it was thinking in my like, head. Oh I'm my god, like, this is it. Well, because yeah. what I knew that I needed more than anything else is I needed to go somewhere where they could pay me to teach me a trade. Yeah, because I yeah. knew that school. Because at this point, I have a not even a full ninth grade education. So I'm like, okay, I, I don't have, I mean, I had been going to the continuation classes and stuff like that. And so I had a lot of units, but I didn't even know what units I had. And so literally what I ended up doing is, and this is, you know, crazy, but I went to my teacher that was in my, that was my continuation school teacher. And she literally gave me all the units that I needed other than the, um, not the required classes, but the non-required elective classes, which then I had to take a GED for the non-electives. But I'm mm -hmm. convinced that she gave me credit for classes I never even I took. Oh, wow. And then I took a GED. And so that's how I ended up being able to go in the Marine Corps was because I had my GED. So I was then going to go on the buddy system with my friend. And um, at that point, I was starting, starting to have a falling out with the uh, tow truck driver. 
And so I, um, I might or might not have actually turned him in to the police and he might or might not have found out about that. So then I had to call my recruiter and say, um, so, you know, I know I'm supposed to leave with my friend to go on the buddy system, but I need to go like right now. Yeah. <laughs> like how fast can how I fast actually can leave? Like yeah. tomorrow? So yeah. I was out in 48 hours. I was wow. gone. Oh I gosh. left like everything. And I, at that point it was like, I was living in this like house that had been converted into, it was completely a slumlord house that had been converted into like these little bedrooms and you shared bathrooms with people. And it was just like this godforsaken place that was like rodent infested. It was awful. So needless to say, I didn't care that I was like leaving anything yeah. I had besides at this point, you know, I've kind of gone through life with all the my stuff in like, yeah. you know, two paper bags is kind of like my contents of my existence. So, so I, uh, so that was it. So I went in the Marine Corps and, um, the Marine Corps was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was very much a culture shock. I'd never even been on a plane. So I went to, um, so I went to boot camp in Paris Island in, in, uh, South Carolina. Okay. And so you get there and it's exactly like they have on TV, you know, people come out and they start screaming at you uh-huh. and they're like literally screaming at you right and they take face. away all your clothes they cut off your hair and they make everybody one person. Like now all of a sudden wow. you are You're like, just everybody mm-hmm. is the same. They want to like humiliate everybody equally. Um, the good thing was, and I, I don't know if it was just because the way that I grew up or what, like I could assimilate very easily. So I once again went right into the mode of, I don't want them to know my name. Yes. Yeah. And, and I did that actually really well. Like they didn't really like, you know, and I wasn't, which is kind of the funny thing. The thing that I have gone back and questioned is I didn't try to become the leader. Mm -hmm. I just tried to become the person that nobody knew my name. Yes. Um, and the only thing Time that out. was, could you fucking picture your kids doing that shit? No, <laughs> I tried, I tried to get my kids to do it. Right? None of them were falling for it at all. Although I, I feel like everybody should do it. To be honest, I really truly believe everybody should do it. But the only difficulties that I had in the Marine Corps actually was that I would laugh. I would get in trouble for laughing. Because the drill instructors would come up and they would like scream in your face, like spits flying in your face, oh, yeah. and you're not even allowed to look at them, and you're not, and you have to ask permission to speak, and all of this craziness. And I would just laugh out loud, and I couldn't even help it. Like I knew I was going to get trouble. It was a nervous yeah. laugh. No, it wasn't. It was because I literally in my head I was thinking, really, really, yeah. like you go home and you have like kids, and like you're just like a normal person, and yeah. this is like just a like. How stupid do you feel putting on this Yelling act as you're like kids. screaming at me? Yeah, these young people. Uh-huh. Because yeah. I know it's just an act. Yeah. Well, so especially what you went through as a child, like you, you got beats and right. these people are just yelling in your face. I'm like, whatever. So yeah, I like, was, yeah. so I, that was it. That's what I would get in trouble for was, you know. So, okay. So fast forward. So I go through boot camp. I graduate. I go to school. And when I'm in school, I'm in North Carolina. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina oh, okay. at Camp Lejeune. And, um, and then- Again, Mr. Valentine, he's like taking the bus to come out and see me. Oh, oh my shit. Gosh. Multiple times. Oh, my shit balls. Oh, yeah. Multiple times. So in my, in my how head. How old were you here? How old were you now? Oh, no, I'm 18. Okay. So now I'm like, so this is like, the, again, you know, back to like the silly things that we do as yes. kids, right? Totally. So I'm 18 years old. I really, I'm away from home. I have nothing connecting me to anything. I literally feel like I am like just flying around in the air with no roots at all. Yeah. He comes out and he's like, I love you. I want to marry you, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's a fantastic plan. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about it, and I kid you not. I know. I know. So she, that is a fantastic isn't plan. Isn't she funny? I know. Sign me Sign up. Sign me right? up. Okay. It gets worse. So <laughs> it gets worse. in the taxi. It gets worse before it gets better. Oh, yeah. I'm in the taxi. We're talking about this fantastic plan of how we're going to get married. And the taxi driver says, well, I know somebody that will marry you. Oh, no, no. And, it off right now. I'm oh, not, no. I, I can't make this up. The thing about my life is I swear to God, I can't make it up. Yeah. It sounds crazy. <laughs> it probably was crazy, but I can't make it up. Okay, so we say, okay, good. He takes us, <laughs> okay, he takes us to a- There's no Vegas over there. <laughs> they, he takes us to a bookstore. Shut oh, up. No. He takes us to a bookstore. I'm wearing bl- blue and white striped <laughs> shorts and a white t-shirt. Oh, at least you were in a little bit of white. You oh, my God. Do and you have a picture of this? I mean. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> they, I, they didn't have cell phone cameras then. No, they didn't. We they weren't did taking it. selfies. No photos. So there are no, no, no photos Kodaks. of this oh, event. Okay. So we go to the bookstore and literally as fast as we were talking about it, now we're married. And oh, I'm not kidding. Oh, my gosh. So we get married. Did you ever think, oh shit? Uh, you know, no, I didn't. You're like, no, I didn't. no. no I didn't. Again, because remember that same, like, that same young girl who's, who's like going into the apartment to follow the popcorn smell? Yeah. yeah I'm not thinking long term in terms of like, am I going to spend the rest of my life with this person? Like, yeah. you just, your brain doesn't work like that. You're just so right. desperate. I know. To like hold and you're just on so, to like, something. Into that moment yeah. Too. And you're so, you're, yeah. you're really truly desperate. So, so. This is. So I, so I'm, so I marry him that day and then he's out there with me for like a couple more days and then he proceeds to get back on the bus and then I promptly don't know where he went. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) So I finish school. I come back to California and I, um, I go and I get an apartment. He likes surfaces, but I mean, he was like this big playboy. I mean, literally if we counted all the children that he had, um, even in the course of the time that he was with me, I don't even know how many there were. There were so many. So oh my God. I know it, it, it's not pretty. I mean, <laughs> nothing about this is pretty, no. but I mean, it's real, but it's real. Like it that's, is. It, it is just real. So anyway, um, so he, so the funny part, which I did sort of skip. So the part where I said I might or might not have like ratted him out to the police. So he might or might not have been actually waiting for his trial date because now he's going to go to the federal penitentiary. Oh, oh shit. So, which what, is what were uh, the So he was because he was selling crack. Okay, okay. So he was And in the, so the again bag. because okay. I'm such a um naive person, so the police come to my job when I'm working in my grand job at Bob's Rip Boy and they tell me like we know that you're the girlfriend of this person. And if like you correction, really, I'm a wife. No, no, I wasn't. This was I'm back just, when yeah. I was still oh, a boss okay, okay. So I'm not the wife yet. So yes. they say, yeah. and if you really, really, really care about him, you'll tell us where he hides, you know, his drugs because, you know, he, and of course in oh, my shit. head, I'm thinking he's well, a I'm mess. I'm going to help him. He's a yeah. mess and he really does have a problem and I really do want to help him. Did he do it too? He did. And okay. he was actually at that point, he was pretty bad off. Can't do it I, you can't do it yourself, I.e., which is why I said I needed to see what was had this connection over right, people and totally. what, the hold. And it was because it had this huge hold on him, and I couldn't figure out why. Mm-hmm. So um, so now I'm in the Marine Corps, and now I have this husband who goes to the federal penitentiary, which was really not good because I had a job where I worked in the office, and we were in, responsible for everybody's what they called SRBs, which is your service record book. And so everybody in there knew because his address in my book 
was the federal penitentiary. Oh, geez, yeah. So everybody knew. And so by now, I'm starting to get a little brighter. And now I'm a little more embarrassed by this fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're probably, you know, there's some very um, humiliating times in your life. And yes. one of them is when you wake up in the morning and you don't know where you're going to go to sleep at night. Okay. Another is when you're dependent on a man and they throw all of your stuff outside and okay. you have to like, you know, you have to suck it up yeah. because you don't have anywhere to go. That's yeah. a really humiliating situation. Yes. And another really humiliating situation is when you are the spouse of an inmate in a federal penitentiary yes. and you have to go there and oh see God. them yeah. and deal with the oh. way that people treat you when right. you're there yes. to do conjugal visits or regular visits yeah. because they treat you like you are the absolute shit on the bottom of their shoe. And it is not helpful if you are white and you are going to see a black inmate. Okay. Because there is an absolute yes. stigma about that. And it was 100%. even worse back then, yeah. you know, because right. this is at this point, this is in like the mid eighties. Yeah. yeah. My so, uncle was in and out of jail and he, yeah. Yeah. Was, it was not. A, so, yeah. so I got to yet again experience, you know, just complete and utter humiliation of, you know, as a human being, I was just like mortified um, so I did quickly come to realize that maybe this life was not for me. Okay. Um, that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't made out to be the wife of the of the dude in federal uh, penitentiary. In that wasn't really. That yeah. wasn't really going. Conjugal visits anymore. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't really working out for me. <laughs> no. So I um in the meantime, and this is what's so crazy. I mean, this whole fucking shit is okay, crazy. I know, but wait. I know. The, so what happened is I had a friend of mine who worked with me, another a marine. He comes in one day and says to me, so I'm going to go to this paralegal school. You should come with me. To which I said, what's that? Oh, wow. And he's like, I don't know. It's like this legal thing. And I think, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? I'll do it. Why not? I kid you not. And I'm, I, How, I, tell me your age. Um, I'm probably 19 by now. Okay. Okay. So I go. To this school. It's okay. called Barkley College. It doesn't exist anymore, but that's what it was called. So I oh go. Oh, God. There's Barkley Court Reporters. That's yeah. funny. Okay. So I go to the school. It's in Cyprus. And okay. I go, like, literally, like, the first day, and I instantly am like, I love this. You were drawn to I was so to drawn laugh. to it. So I, I automatically was like, this is there's something to this. Like I, there's something about this. Like I really love it. And by now I've, I mean, I already knew, like I had been, I'd always been a really good student. When I went into the Marine Corps, I tested like super high, um, you know, to get, you have to take like this ASVAB or whatever. And I tested really high, um, on that. And so like, I knew that I was, I always knew that I was smart, but I never, I really never, I never went to school long enough to be in an, 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 academic environment where I was ever tested. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really know, like, am where I above average or yeah. am I, like, I didn't know. Right. So, but I, so I started this paralegal class and in the meantime, I've now met another guy and this You're guy. You're still legally married? No, I meant, well, uh, I don't actually remember, to be perfectly honest. I mean, because I know that I did do the whole, I'm not going to divorce you while you're in jail. Uh-huh. So I stayed legally married longer than, but I was like, I'm done. You're I'm not going to be married, yeah, but I'm but not going to divorce you because, you know, I had you. the whole, like, I'm not going to kick him when he, totally kick him while right. he's down. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm halfway kicking you, but I'm not 100% kicking you when yeah. you're yes. down. But I stopped going to visit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so now I'm like, um, so I'm, so I start dating this other guy. And at this point I'm like, oh, this is like, this guy's got a good job. And he, cause he's in the Marine Corps and he's like, you know, this crash crew guy and he's like going to be a fireman. And he's been in the Marine Corps for like 12 years. And he's like 10 years older than me. Everybody was always 10 years older than me. So was the tow truck yeah. driver. <laughs> and so, um, but you know, what's interesting, let me actually add one thing about that really quickly. I feel like one of the experiences, you know, you have like those poignant moment experiences. So one of the experiences that was sort of like a life altering experience, I think for me too, was, you know, the whole racial thing was never, I, I was oblivious to it. I, I know. was truly uh -huh. oblivious yes. to it. But what woke me up about it was when I had first started dating, if you won't even want to call it that, uh, the tow truck driver. And of course he drives a Cadillac. So I'm this 16 year old girl in the Cadillac with the black guy who's got at that point the long jerry curl might I uh -huh. add okay uh -huh. and we get pulled over by the police in Long Beach and they're asking him all these questions like you know what's who's she what's her name what's her yeah. last name blah blah oh blah and gosh. we don't even we don't even really know each other that well so we don't know any of this so they right. totally thought that he was my pimp and they treated him so awful and it was Totally, obviously, it was nothing. But you like didn't that. understand. You didn't know I, why. I yeah. all mm -hmm. I knew was that my heart was broken for him, mm -hmm. and I saw how he had to respond and how he had to act for them to not beat him, right? And to not submissive, oh and, very, and um, not stuck in my brain forever. Yeah. Like oh, it stuck gosh. in my brain forever. Anyway, I digress. So fast forward. Go back to the. Go back to the um to the crash crew firefighter guy that I thought was going to be like this really great guy. And I felt like I was moving up in the world. Like I'm doing right. better yeah. now. I'm so like, I got this guy. He's yeah. like, you know, he's got guy, a good yeah. job and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then sadly he ended up having a really bad seizure that he woke up on the side of the road one day and then come to find out he has this major seizure disorder. And then unfortunately this major seizure disorder also caused him to be very violent which I'm not sure if he wasn't already violent before that, but okay. I don't know because I didn't oh, really wow. know him that long before uh -huh. that. Wow. That's weird. Yeah. And so once again, now here I am again, cause tow truck driver was also kind of violent. So now I keep picking all these guys who have this like violent tendency. And so, but it's like your foster, but right. But the problem is I'm very much in a cycle. And yes. I don't, I can't see that yet, but I'm very no. much in this cycle where. But you also know that you're better than whatever you whatever keep situation going back you're to in. That. Yeah. I do, you're but it's very us. normal. It's very normal when you are um, used to being an abused person. Mm -hmm. It's very, very normal to put yourself in that situation um, because you don't really know any better. And so, literally, if you really think about it. Every single person up until that point in my life had beat me. Every sure, single person yeah. who was supposed to love me had beat me. Right. So and I didn't never heard and so the I word didn't, I love you. And I didn't know how it was supposed to look other than that. Right. Yeah. So even though you know it's wrong and even though you know you, you don't want to be there, you don't know how to get out of that because and you just you just think this is your life. Mm -hmm. Like this is just how this it's going to be. This is just how life is. Right. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, he ended up with this like seizure disorder and then, uh, he ended up getting medically retired from the military. Um, and then I ended up, uh, finding out that I was pregnant, which was also really fantastic because then I found out that he had also had another girl in our same building was also pregnant by him. Um, so my daughter was born and she has a sister who's two months older than her. 
Um, and, but the thing that also, again, going back to like, you know, every once in a while, despite, despite, uh, where you're at in your life, there, there comes those few things that are important to you. And the thing that was important to me then I, it was the only thing I ever stood up to him for was that I was going to finish school. Like I, mm -hmm. he was like, you're not going to go to school. He's very controlling. Like I had to like get dressed the night before to show him what I was going to wear to work the next day. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh my um, I had to come home from work every day at lunch because uh, I had to make his lunch and I had to be home at a certain time. Exact same, same scenario as, as, as all my your, life. Right. And if I went to the grocery right. store and I didn't get home in the amount of time he thought that I should, he was like, who are you? out with who were you mm -hmm. fucking da, da, da. I mean it was crazy it was insane but at any rate um so I lost my train of thought because I forgot where I was going <laughs> um well we were t you're talking about being pregnant and I think you're getting out of the military at this point yeah yeah so I got out of the you're right I um so I'm with him and I'm getting I'm now going to get out of the military um, because I am pregnant. And so did they, um, so that, is that an honorable discharge? Yeah. Then? Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Cause I did my time. So okay. I would, I, uh, but I did have an experience, which actually was again, one of those sort of, um, you know, memorable experiences. So dating him, he was also black and I had a, um, staff sergeant, actually it was my, uh, first sergeant who was very anti was, I was not allowed to date a black guy. So he like ordered me that I could not date a black guy. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. So it was, and they would come, he would actually send people to my house to see. What? I'm Whoa. not kidding. Not kidding. Yeah. It was really. Question. Mm -hmm. You're into black guys, obviously. Right? Is that like one of your. You know, I have to say that I. I don't really think that's honestly the way it works. Okay. I think for me, I fall in love with a person. Okay. And I think that... I like this answer. I, but I think it's really true. Okay. I think I absolutely fall in love with a person. Like okay. my current boyfriend's white. Uh, yeah. And you know, there's all that whole like, once you go black, you never go back uh -huh. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but I have this like amazing love affair with the person that I'm with now. Yeah. yeah. And so I can't say that. I don't look at somebody and think, oh, that's this is my type. Or like, uh -huh. yeah, I don't. I you feel don't. like I'm very much just, I, I, I love, I, I do believe that I fall in love with who people are on the inside more than I mm -hmm. do anything else. Because okay. I'll tell you, even the tow truck driver who yeah. then went and did his federal penitentiary term and who managed somehow to make sure that he always stayed in touch with me. Okay. And it is now 30 years later. Yeah. And I still talk to him. Do you and really? And he still gets, he still makes sure that he has never lost touch with me. Okay. Um, he even actually, he's a good guy. Okay. He's a really, really, really good guy. And I can tell you even to this day, if something ever happened to him, I would like help him in any way that I could because he's a good guy. And Where he's does he also, live now? He's in Long Beach. Okay. He's, he also is a really good example of how he got out of prison. He's a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. So now he has like any, right. you know, he was in prison for like two or three years. I mean, and he got out and he got a job and he has always worked and he's always been self-sufficient and he's never gone back to jail. And he is a contributing part of society. Mm -hmm. And his circumstances are really just a guy who grew up in a family yeah. that was 
you know, he's not well educated. Yeah. He is, you know, pretty much almost everybody in his family has actually predeceased him at this point. Wow. And he, um, and actually one of the last conversations I had with him is he talked about how alone he is because, you know, Jeez. so many of his family members have died. A lot of them, you know, from drugs or violence or whatever. Um, and yeah. it's just, but he's, but my point in bringing that up was just to say like, everybody just automatically assumes that if you go to prison, you do time in prison, that you're automatically a bad guy. But it's interesting to me because I look at him and I'm like, he's such a good example of how that's not yes. true. And how, despite everything, like I mm -hmm. have this connection with him and he's, you know, I like his heart. I like who he is in his heart. Okay. So Anyway, back to um, the second guy. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so at that point, I am now in a relationship with him. I had insisted on going to paralegal school. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, the timing of it all was like amazing. So I'm graduating from paralegal school literally within a week of the time that I'm getting out of the Marine Corps and within a week of the time that Brie is born, my daughter's born. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And oh my so, God. you know, really, it was like, I mean, again, <laughs> boom, just boom, sort boom. of like yeah. miraculous how that worked out. And so I promptly have this baby and then I have to get a job, like right away. And so I, and I miraculously get this job in Santa Ana. I work for this um really prominent law firm, which I didn't realize at the time how prominent they were. Yeah. But I worked for this criminal defense firm and I started working in that firm. Um, uh, Hold on as, a second. Yeah. Before, um, I totally can picture you mm -hmm. as doing that. Doing what? I Is is being a, a, a prosecutor or is being a public defender, oh. you are like... Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Walls. It's and funny that you say that because ultimately, you know, we're fast forwarding, but ultimately as I became an attorney, my my initial thought was yeah. that I wanted to work for either the DA's office or mm -hmm. I wanted to work for the public defender. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's funny that you say that because that really was my goal. But luckily for me, I had a really good friend who went to law school with me who actually sat me down and said, uh, this is not the career choice for you. You no, are no. not. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. She said, you are not politically correct. You will not say oh. what people want to hear. Uh -huh. You will not go with the flow just because this is what the, oh. what the, you know, politics are of the, you know, county or government at the time. You're yeah. not going to be okay with that. Yeah. And she grew up in a family where dad was a judge and she had, you know, multiple brothers who were lawyers. And so she knew what she that knew, process yeah. was like. And she's like, you're never going to last in that environment. So I ultimately didn't pursue you that. You listened to her. I did because she's right. I'm not politically correct in any way. Like no. I'm not going to do what somebody tells me that I should do just because it's like the popular view. I'm yeah. going to do what I truly believe in. In your heart. And so that's, that's so how that, you, that's yeah. what that's how you operate on a daily. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So yes. I so I knew. But at any rate, so I was working in this firm and we were doing criminal defense, which was interesting because I worked for a guy who had all the death row cases. So all of his clients wow. were death row inmates. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so I was on the phone all the time with all these death row inmates. And so that was um, kind of That opening. was interesting, right? You were right? on the phone yeah, with them? Oh, I was. Wow. And I would like talk to them on the phone and they would sound like such nice people. And right. then I would go read their file and I was like, oh my God. Because yeah, obviously if I you're on death row, to? they did like the yeah. most heinous thing. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I was nice to them. Like, <laughs> But at any rate... um. 
So what was really interesting about my life at this point, though, is, you know, it's so bizarre how it all like comes together. So when I'm working at this firm and I'm 21 years old now. Okay. And I had always my whole Don't life worry about it. wanted to, I'd always my whole life wanted to find my biological mom. And I was reading a woman's this is day. A turn. Yeah, yeah. But this is what happens in this okay. at this time. So at, I'm reading this woman's day magazine and there's an article in the magazine about, um, you know, children finding their biological moms. And at the end of the article, it has like the name of this woman who had assisted, you know, the, the person in the article, um, in finding their biological mom. So I called the number. And the lady said, well, you know, I'm in Florida, but here's the name and phone number of somebody that's out by you that could potentially help you. So I called that lady and I don't know where that lady worked. I'm assuming she must've worked at like the hall of records or something. I don't know. So what was, so what was interesting is that my whole life, my mom, my adoptive mom had always told me the name of my mom, my, my biological mom. I always knew it. Um, and sadly, I knew it because my uh, adoptive mom would say things to me like, well, I'm really glad. Thank God I'm not biologically related to you. And she would throw it up in my face all the time and, okay. you know, say awful things. But that name like always stuck in my brain because it was an unusual name because her last name was Roth Baylor. Oh, wow. So it's a very yeah. unusual name. So I very always remembered the name. So when I'm talking to this woman on the phone and I tell her my mom's name and I also know approximately her year of birth because um, I knew that she was, um, you know, 19 or 20 years old when I was born. Mm -hmm. So I give her this information and within no time at all, she calls me back and she um, tells me that my mom had gotten married and that her last name was now Cheatham. Okay. And so I, you know, and with my paralegal knowledge, I'm like, ooh, okay, so now uh-huh. I need to get her um, her marriage application because then I feel like I could get her date of birth. Oh, shoot. And so I might or might not have issued a subpoena <laughs> under a claim case uh-huh. that we- Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh-huh. Yeah, allegedly happened. Uh-huh. And I got the marriage license with her date of birth. And it had her father's name. And so... So you saw... You ma- that was a match. It was a match, yes. So from the day that I made the decision that I was going to find her to the day that I actually talked to her was nine days. Oh, my gosh. So wow. that's how, like, absolutely so intended fast. that so, this was. Yeah. So once I had her date of birth, my best friend at the time um, was a police officer. And so she might or might not have allegedly <laughs> ran her information through the system <laughs> And she uh, had a match. She had a ticket in Reno, Nevada. Oh, my God. And so my best friend called her and said, does the date August 13th mean anything to you? Because that was my birthday. And she said yes. And so that's how I met my biological mom. So that happened in July. My daughter was born in January of 1989. And in July of 1989, I met my biological mom. And... That was probably without a doubt the um, single most important event in my life, like okay. the most life altering event in my life. Um, so here, she? so yeah. here's, so here's the part that's like so interesting about that. So here for 21 years, I yeah. had envisioned this moment. 
Mm-hmm. I was, I had, I had longed for this moment forever because again, you know, remember that, you know, when I was so excited to have this child because I wanted to have this, this connection and I wanted yeah. to have this, you know, biological connection. And so, and, you know, and, and my parents, you know, that had not gone well. And so I was, um, and I was still very like bitter and angry at this point in my life. I was definitely my, my, the darkness in my world was very heavy for me still. Okay. I was mad. I was very mad at my life. Like I walked around with this attitude, like, why is this my life? Like, why mm-hmm. did I get this life instead of like that life, you know? And okay. so I was, I was sort of following into that victim role. Which is weird though, because you were always you a fighter. so much. Yeah. I know. But, but I, during this darkness, you're still fucking fighting. I am, but I'm also fighting myself. Okay. I mean, because I was a fighter, like I was absolutely a fighter, but I was just, I had so much resentment and anger yeah. um, and negativity. And I was, I, I can't explain it any way other than to say like, I was just so dark and it was so heavy. I just had this weight that was like, I was carrying this weight around. And I remember, you know, there's, there's always like these, I call them Oprah moments, you know, you have your (laughs) Oprah moments, right? So one of those Oprah moments was meeting my mom, which I'll talk about in just a quick second. But one of the other Oprah moments that I had was, um, the woman I told you about Jen, that was my counselor. So she she followed me all of those years and, and she, do you still, still, oh, to this day, oh, she's one of my all time best friends. Really? Yes. It's, I go see her all the time and that, and and I go out there to her. She was, she became a Dean of school, a Dean of girls and she lives up in Oregon and I went there and I went, that's where I go to Oregon and I see her. That's my Oregon connection. So I go see her up there. I would go, I would actually go to her classes and talk to her kids. I become very close to a bunch of her kids. I want to go. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah, I definitely um, continue to have this like amazing relationship with her. And she's still to this day, you know, like, I, one day I want to write a book and when I write a book, I'm going to go, oh, I have you, to go, you need to but I have to book. go be by her because every time I'm near her or with her, I like it, it, it like it peels away back. everything mm-hmm. and I get, I get to be like so real and okay. so genuine and who I really we am. You need to so do a raw. sabbatical. Yeah. And do that. I know. Yeah. And I, I, we, I was going to do it actually the beginning of this year and then I just, it's too hard to do with work and stuff. But anyway, I'm all about that. I'm definitely going to do okay. that. And I'm definitely going to go do it with her okay. and be near her because I can be like real and be who I am mm-hmm. there. But anyway, so my, my Oprah moment was I remember talking to her because the great thing about her, which is definitely something to, to, you know, trying to take away from this, because I believe that, um, everybody needs to have one person who believes in them. Yes. And you never know when you're going to be that one person. And so that one person is going to be right. And, and it doesn't, and that person doesn't even need to be troubled they don't need to be anything, but it's like, for example, like how I, you know, I developed a relationship with your son Yes. and I have this like crazy, I have this crazy weird relationship with him ever since you first fucking met. Right. Mm -hmm. Which actually is going to make me cry when I even talk about it. But Mm -hmm. I have this like amazing, I, I, because as I go through my life, I'm always looking to be that person because you never know when what you're going to say could actually change somebody's life. Because this, what I'm about to tell you, it's just a simple statement. And for everybody who'll hear it, they'll think like, what's the big deal? Right. Yeah. But it changed my life. Okay. So I'm talking on the phone to my friend, Jen, and I tell her like, like I have this black cloud that's following me around. Yeah. And she said, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. There's no you're, black cloud, Kim. You just, you just cloud. make bad choices. <laughs> and I shit yeah. you not. I was like, 
hold up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, well, if that's true, I can fix that. Okay. That was your like realization I, moment. And like. I and I I swear to you, yeah. I can like tell you where I was sitting. Uh-huh. I can tell you like I remember that day like it was yesterday. Okay. And I legitimately was like, I need to, I need to change that. Mm-hmm. I need to fix that. So that, that moment was like embedded in my brain. And it's not like I woke up the next morning and I'm like off to the races. Now I'm like going, my life is going in the right direction. No, but, but that, but that seed was, was planted in my yeah. brain. And yeah. I knew then, start looking at all right, I need to like self-reflect. Mm-hmm. I need to start self-evaluating and I need to start looking at what is it about me that's making this stuff happen. And so then as things would start to progress in my life and things would happen, I would evaluate what what are my choices? What are my actions in the course of what I'm doing that is contributing to this situation as mm-hmm. opposed to me doing what I'd always done before, which is blaming everybody else and thinking about how life just sucked and you know right. I just was how this unlucky person. Life? Why did I get it? Yeah. So that was so that was growing. That You're, seed was growing in my brain. Okay. It's now, such an interesting conundrum though with you because you just you still had a higher underneath you even though yeah, it's bizarre you do you understand now that you that is not a quality that oh, not I, a do. Lot of I do know have that i do know overcome. that i do know that so so that so just know that that seed is growing in my brain and then along comes now this opportunity i'm going to meet my mom right so yeah. so it, I, i'm t- it all ties together okay uh-huh. so now i'm going to meet this woman that i've like had this vision of this moment forever, never, never. I'm like so excited. I'm super nervous, but I like, can't wait for this to happen. And I remember this moment, like it was yesterday as well, because I walked to my front door. Okay. I was living in Tustin. I was living in an apartment and I walked to my front door and I opened the door and she's standing there. And she, before she said a single word, Mm -hmm. I had a visceral reaction to her and it was not good. I was instantly like, uh, I instantly did not like her. I really instantly was like, oh, I mean, physically a visceral yeah, reaction to this right. woman of like, oh. Do you think yeah. that that's like it? You're you have the an intuition. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, um, you know, down the road years later, I'm in counseling, and a counselor told me that she thinks that maybe some traumatic event occurred while, like, maybe when I was in utero or something. I don't know. That's, that's what she said. So that might be it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. All I know is that I had this reaction. I told myself that I was going to fight that. And then I was going to, you know, I here I'd wanted this forever. Like right. I need to just ignore that. And I need to, but I yeah. tell you one of the biggest things, which to this day still is a major driving factor and force in my life that I learned from that experience with my mom was to trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. because yeah. I yeah. had the immediate instinct about her. I tried very hard to fight that. And it turned out that the way I felt about her was probably very justified. Yeah. So at any rate, um, so, so I meet her and like I said, this is in July and I, I'm struggling to try to develop this bond with her. She very much came into my life and was like, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's heavily, happily ever after. I'm going to be your mom. And I was like, hold up, you know, just yeah. because things <laughs> right. over here and my other world didn't really go so well. I'm not really looking for a mom. I'm just like sort of looking for information. I'm looking to like fill some yeah. voids in my life and I'm not looking for a mom. Yeah. But she was all about wanting to be a mom. She was all about like, I'm going to come, I'm going to help you take care of your babies. I'm oh, going to do this no. and that. And I was like, no. So 
I, but I also found out in the course of that, right after that, that I had two siblings. So I had two sisters. They were at the time seven and 11. Um, I went to meet them and, um, it was, you know, I mean, it was crazy. It was interesting because suddenly I went from this person who like didn't really have Have any connection and now I have like these two sisters and that was awesome. So that has turned out to be like such a positive because because I'm super tight with them. You're still in touch. Yeah, that's Lindsay and Shay. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm super tight with them. And so that's like, and that really goes, and that goes back to the part where you, you know, that whole genetic connection of people, you know, um, Lindsay was living in Reno with my mom. And so I didn't get to spend as much time with her, but, but Shay was here in, in California, you know, and I became very close to her and very close to the people she was living with. And so I, I mean, like Shay and I are like that person who you can like finish each other's sentences without even like, you know, having to think about it. And so, and it's bizarre because we're very much like sisters, but we're like sisters who never really had the upbringing of like fighting and all of that stuff. Right, so, right, right, right. Yeah, so, so it's so, you, you it's so bizarre. The, it's like we were, stuff. Yeah, right? <laughs> but it's like we were never really not sisters, which uh-huh. is also kind of interesting. So, but at any rate, so in August, I, the following okay. month, I decide I'm, I have a falling out with um, Bree's dad. And interestingly, again, you know, those poignant moments that occur in your life. So one of those poignant moments was, I was listening or watching, I should say, a show. Um, what was the name of that show? Can't remember right now. It'll come to me. Anyway, in the show, there was um, a little boy who's five years old, whose dad wasn't such a good guy. Mm-hmm. But I'll never. But I remember the little boy standing in the window waiting for his dad to come, and him, you know, being so disappointed that his dad didn't show up. And I remember at this point where again, you know, Bree's only like five months old and I'm thinking I'm, I need to leave her dad because her dad's not a good guy. Right. But I need to leave him before she loves him unconditionally because she will. Yes. No matter what. Yeah. And so I make up my mind at that point that I have to do this before she gets Gets old enough to have that connection with him. The show was called 30 something by the way. Yes. And so I make up my mind, but again, it's just the seed that's planted in my brain, but I can't make it happen right now. And, and actually we had, it takes me all the way to the state of Maryland because I end up following him to Maryland, um, which I did in August. So I'd only met my mom a month before in July, I go there in August. And then I stay there and I promptly know that this is not a good plan. And because the violence escalated and it got much worse. I ended up marrying him there only because I needed to like sort of live long enough to get out of there. Um, Had without a doubt the probably like when the OJ Nicole Brown Simpson event happened. um, I remember that when that actually ultimately happened, I remember thinking that's what I thought was going to happen to me. Like, because he was kind of that bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he just drugs no no he wasn't drugs he just the violence. he had the he had like the seizure disorder and all of that and so I don't know like how much of it is that or how much of it was just who he was okay. I don't know I, I really don't know and I don't really choose to know and I don't really choose to put a lot of time and effort into trying to figure that out yeah um but at any rate so I went there and then I left I was married in September and I left in November because that was when the quickest I could leave um I managed to leave which is so funny. 
um, because he, you know, again, very controlling, knew everything that I was doing, monitored all my phone calls, heard me on the phone with my mom telling her that I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had gotten into a car accident when I was here in California and I got in a settlement on the case and it was $4,000. So in his, you know, kindness, he was like, oh, well, since you got this money, I hear that you really want to leave. So if you really want to leave, I'll give you half of the money and you can leave. You'll give, He'll give you half? You, yeah. Half of your settlement, half of my settlement you. money. You could have taken the whole fucking I know. thing. I, I could have, but you know. You're just trying how to get you, out. How yeah. do you do that, right? Yeah. How do you physically make that Without happen? Getting beat. Yeah. So I took the $2,000 and I took the, I was driving a uh, 19, I think it was 1979 Chevy Impala. Um, I took the, I took my car, I took, I got a hitch put on the back of my car, which cost about 250 bucks. Then I rented a U-Haul and however much the U-Haul cost, I took the kids stuff Mm -hmm. and my clothes and put it in the U-Haul and I attached it onto the back of the car and it was Thanksgiving. I was going to leave on Thanksgiving, but then it snowed. And then I ended up with like literally what was the longest night of my life because he knew I was leaving. I couldn't leave. And so mm-hmm. he was going to literally make me pay. And that was the night that I thought I probably wouldn't make it through the night. Um, there was a lot of like dragging me up and down the stairs by my hair and oh crazy stuff like that. So anyway, um, the next day I left and I was now having to drive in snow, which I did not do well because I grew up in California. California. Yeah. Right. And uh, but then we so I had uh, Bree at that point who was uh 11, 10 months old. And, you know, Marshall was like seven or eight or whatever. Oh my God. And, uh, and so now I'm going to drive cross country and Did my Marshall help you. Was he like, Oh yeah. Cause he had to, because you he know, we like got like helper, this baby right? in the mm-hmm. back of the car. And so, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so I came back to California. I moved in with my friend and that's when my life changed. So the seed that had been planted in the back of my brain about like you need to make better choices and the seed in the back of my brain about when I met my biological mom and I looked at her and I said, that's you in 20 years if you don't Mm -hmm. do your life different. Because she had, at that point, she had four kids by four different men. And I had two by two different men, but I was in a relationship with somebody I knew I wasn't going to stay with. Yeah. Um, And so I was like, this is, this is you. And I would have conversations with her where she would tell me about like her day and her day. I remember having like the most poignant one that I remember is her calling me one day and she's talking to me on the phone and she would tell me that she got in a fight with some guy that came over and he hit her in the head with the butt of a gun. And she said it as if she was just as talking if, about like, having like Cheerios yeah. for breakfast. Yeah. And I, and I, and it struck me because by this point I was like, that's not normal. Even yeah. I know that's yeah. not normal. <laughs> and I don't know anything about what normal is, yeah. but I just know that's not it. Right. So I, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, okay, I don't want that to be my life. Yeah. No. So, so I came back to California and by January of that year, next year, I moved into my own apartment. I enrolled in school mm-hmm. um, and I went to Golden West College and I, I got another job. I was working in a, as a paralegal in a law firm and I just was living on like the most unbelievable shoestring budget ever. Mm-hmm. I remember that my my goal back then was that I wanted to be able to get a big gulp. They cost 79 <laughs> cents then. I wanted to be able to get a big gulp whenever I wanted that didn't that I didn't have to budget for because I had wow. a budget for 79 cents for a big Shit. gulp. Yeah. So that was the goal. 
god. <laughs> yeah, that was the goal. So, um, so anyway, I mean, I so went to school, had the job, and then I just, you know, I then I the crazy thing, then I got recalled. I was working at this job and I got recalled because I was on I was in um in the inactive reserve. So now I had two kids. I'm a single mom. I live in this apartment and I have to go. And by now I had met the, I then met Rodney. So Rodney, uh, came into my life, um, shortly after I moved back to California, a few months into that. And he was without a doubt, the best person I'd ever met. Like the best person. Rodney? I met him through my friends. Um, I had a friend and he had a friend and they were living together. Okay. So one of my best friends and one of his best friends were boyfriend, girlfriend. Gotcha. And they had me come over to their house and I, you know, showed up with like kids in tow. And oh, like the, yeah. The pack and play and the whole thing. Right? Okay. And, right? Time out. You know what this fucking reminds me of? What? Aaron Brockovich. Oh, yeah. You right? forget, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And that guy yeah. is smitten like, totally. by her and he doesn't give a fuck that right. she's got 80 well, kids. He, he had a problem with it at the beginning. He was like, because here he is. Now, this is a little different story because this guy comes along. He's got like a great job. He's like a good guy. He's like, you know, the first guy I ever dated in my life that never like was ever like, physically abusive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, or emotionally. And, and I'm mean, a mess. I'm a mess. Yeah. I mean, I'm such a mess that like I can tell you we were literally one day we were playing racquetball with one of his friends. We're in the racquetball court and he sneezed and I went and hid in the corner. And oh his friend God. looked at him like, what are you doing to her? Like, uh-huh. why is she doing why that? Right. So but I'm so broken and yeah. still so broken at this point. And so, I mean... What he like saw yeah. in me, I, can't. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, can't. it's like, it's just crazy. So, so he, he was good with the dating part, but he was kind of not in his head. He's thinking like, first of all, he'd never dated a white woman. Second of all, he'd never dated anybody with kids. Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> and his family was not happy with him dating a white woman at okay. all. They were all about him not dating white women. Okay. Uh-huh. So they didn't like me. So, I mean, so that. So it was a little bit of a struggle. So we dated for about a year and I was all about it. And he was like, mm, a little bit distant. Right. Yeah. And, and when we first started dating, I was Can dating other people. Ages? Oh, I'm still like, I'm probably 22. Okay. And he's, uh, so much happens 30. to you in such a short amount of time. I'm not kidding you that I lived the life of five people by the time <laughs> yeah, I was no like 22. fucking shit. Honestly. Yeah. So, so he was, he was how old? He was 30. Okay. Not okay. That's yeah. Not. So like eight years different. Yeah. Okay. okay. But I'm not your normal twenty-two no, no, year no, old. No. Either. No. I didn't even remember. Like like to. I didn't even. Right. I didn't even remember <laughs> my twenty-first birthday. Is eight to twenty-two year old. Right. Everybody talks about like how much fun they had on their twenty-first birthday. Oh I don't god. Even, I didn't even fucking You're remember like, well, my twenty-first no, birthday. Not. I have no idea. No. You were that? not done. I have no. no idea what I happened. I'm like, I probably no. was. You're probably right. I I mean, I was pretty much always knocked up. So who knows? Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so, so for the first year, I was all about it. And he was kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure about you. And, but we were also like, I was dating other people at the beginning. Cause that was, you know, we, we weren't in an exclusive relationship or anything. Right. And then at one point he finally is like, not happy about the fact that I'm dating other people. Okay. And I was like, well, okay, that's great and all, except for the part where I have kids. So you either got to get on board with kids or, or not, not. Yeah. So 
And Brie like took to him like there was no tomorrow. I mean, because by the, what do you mean? He's only she's only a year when when I meet him. You know, she's a right. year and a few months, right? So, so I mean, and they were like she so was, cute, so oh. cute. So anyway, um, so he finally gets on board, and of course, you know, in the way typical life works, like now that he's on board and he's all about it, now I'm kind of like, eh, yeah. not really sure. <laughs> So we never seemed to be able to get on the same page. Like either he was all about it or I was, but never on the same page at the same time. I don't know. Like we, so we did that. So we literally dated for like five years. Oh, wow. We dated for five years before we got engaged. Oh my god! Or before we lived together or anything. It was wow. pretty crazy. Wow. But anyway, but we did, actually did like life the normal way. Like, you know, we like dated for a long time. Then we got engaged. Uh-huh. Like, and then he moved in. And okay. then, well, you know, and then, you know. Then we got married and had like this big awesome wedding and all of that kind of stuff. And then yeah, you imagine that. So then, awkward in. I know. Were you and awkward then, in your wedding. And then I actually, uh, I actually had got pregnant after I got married. Like what a novel. Like, you're like, like, I know. <laughs> I'm fucking. I'm I like. I did it the now, normal now way. Now she's a boss babe. She's like, so that's how it works. Yeah. Okay. That's how it works. But here was the most awesome thing about him. So I'm going to school and I'm working and I'm doing okay. all this stuff. Time out. You're yes. going to school for what? So I'm still going to school. I'm going to go in the West to get my AA degree. So now okay. I'm like working as a parent. This is like, we have to back up. So yes, we do. Because, you know, because I fast forwarded like five years. So I know go back to, I'm 22, I'm 23. I'm going to, I'm going to work every day. I'm going to school. At the district attorney's office. No, no, no. At no. this point I'm working at a law firm. And what is, okay. So what, I'm doing what like, does that law firm specialize in? PI. We did general PI. Okay. So okay. I'm a paralegal in a PI firm. Okay. Personal and I, That's like cattle call. Yeah. So Jeez. I'm doing that. And then I'm going to school. And I mean, I'm going to school at like getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, going to class, going to work all day, then coming out of, out of work and going back to school. At the time, I had, like, my VA benefits from, you know, the GI Bill. But uh-huh. back then, like, they paid you, like, $200 a month. Yeah. It was, like, nothing. So it was enough money for me to pay my friend, the one who ultimately introduced me to Rodney, to come to my house and stay at my house to take care Watch of my kids. Uh-huh. So, like, they oh would be in goodness. their house. And, they, you know, they'd go to bed in their own rooms and all of that. And she would feed them dinner and everything. So, like, when I had school, that's what I did. So, and then sometimes she wow. actually even lived with me. So... So that's how I ended up going and doing like my AA degree. And at the time, I didn't realize, initially I didn't realize that I could actually, if I took the LSAT, got a certain score, whatever, I could actually go directly into law school with my AA degree, Um, which is ultimately what I did. Okay. So, and then I started working for this firm um, because I, the guy that I was working for when I first moved back to California, one of the paralegals that worked there, he finally told me like, okay, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you either need to sleep with him or you need to get another job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, yeah. that's not going to happen. So I'm going to get another job. So I started, so I went to apply, I applied for this job at Hortonburg and Riley. Gross, I know. I let me tell you, he already had a wife and a girlfriend. P.S. Oh, yeah. Might have asked. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. So I go work for Hortonburg and Riley, which is like this really awesome firm. And they, again, hugely instrumental in my life. Like, uh, I'll totally changed my life too. So I work, I get a job working for them. I get the job. Okay. I have got, I'm now 
I, I receive the offer. I give notice at my old firm. Okay. I'm a week into my notice and I get my orders that I get recalled. Oh my God. So oh, now yes. nobody has an obligation to give me a job when I come back. Yeah. So I go to Frank and I, my, you know, the new firm and I said, you know, here's the and order. And Frank does MedMal. He does MedMal and PI. Yes. So I go to him and I say, here's my orders. Yeah. You know, I understand you don't have an obligation to give me a job when I come back. And he says to his credit, And that's part one of our interview with Kim Valentine. Stay tuned for later this week to hear the rest of her journey on our part two episode. Make sure you follow all of our social media handles. You can find them at bubblesandbitches.com. And I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Bubbles and kisses from your bitches. Bye, guys.